our theme for this fall until Advent is discipleship. And as disciples of Jesus, we are students of His Word. Amen? Have you studied the Bible this week? We are followers of, of His way. Have you lived like Jesus this week? We are obedient to His commands. Have you obeyed God's commands this week? Or have you obeyed your own commands? Now, we don't treat the Bible like a manual, but sometimes there are very direct instructions in Scripture that we can take at face. Sometimes there are very direct instructions that we have to interpret. For instance, when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, should you cut off your right hand? Absolutely not. But what's he saying? Go to extreme measures to remove sin from your life. He says it's better for your whole body, sorry, it's better for your one part of your body to be cut off than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And sometimes there's places where it's like a textbook. For instance, in James 5, he gives very specific instructions for the people of God. As a follower of Jesus, here is what you should do when you are suffering, happy, sick, and when a brother wanders from the truth. So let's go into this together. Is any of you suffering hardships? Now the NIV translation is, is any of you in trouble? Now when I was a kid, I was in trouble all the time. But, that's not what he's talking about. Is any of you suffering hardships? He should pray. Or she should pray. All y'all should pray. It's very straightforward. So James, who at the beginning of his textbook, James chapter 1, he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials or sufferings of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Therefore, any suffering that you go through in life helps you to mature in the Lord. If you never suffer in life, you're probably insulated and isolated from the things of this world where indeed where God wants to place you and bring redemptive hope to a broken world. So part of being a disciple is entering in places of suffering. Now, does anybody really want to follow Jesus? Of course, remember he said, if everybody wants to come follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That means, as a disciple, there is suffering. Praise be to God, right? And James includes himself, before he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, he describes himself as a, the Greek word is doulos. We often translate it as servant, but really it means bond slave. I, James, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I, J.D., Rob, Emily, Casey, I, a bond slave of Jesus. Are you a bond slave of Christ? I'm a Christian. Really, I'm a, I'm a bond slave. I'm bound to Him. Whatever He says, I do. Wherever He sends me, I go. I'm at His will. And a bond slave is one who suffers at, at the hand of their master. To the one who, the bond slave, to the one who became a servant of all, 
we are bond slaves to the one who became servant of all and who suffered greatly for all humanity. So if we follow his path, there will be great suffering. So chapter 1, section A of being a disciple of Jesus is their suffering for hardships. And section B is how to pray. If any one of you is suffering hardships, he should pray. Now maybe he's saying this tongue-in-cheek. Is any of you suffering, knowing that all of you are suffering? He's writing to the early church. People are being killed for their faith. Is any of you suffering? Well, everybody is. Maybe what he meant was, when you suffer hardships as a bond slave of Jesus in a world that rejected him and killed him, you should pray. Now what can prayer do? Now it seems obvious to a Christian, but what about someone who doesn't pray, who has no experience with prayer? He should pray is not an instruction of something that's rare, but rather it's an instruction of what to do what you normally do. It is perfectly normal for a disciple of Jesus to pray. It is, it must be part of your regular life, your daily habit. And if it's not, let it become so. Practice. You don't think people going out on the football field today are doing this for the first time. No, they've been practicing not just all week, but all their life. So should you as a disciple practice praying? What can prayer do? Well, it can do wonders. It can bring life. It can bring healing. It can bring hope. It can bring people into the light. It can save people. I had a friend in college who wasn't a Christian, and but he kind of believed in God, and he said... Well, I don't pray, but I know that when I get, at some point, if I ever get in trouble, if I never need, if I ever need God, then I'll pray because then he'll know I'm serious. It's pretty good logic. But he doesn't know the heart of God. If you are suffering, if you're in trouble, don't panic. Don't do anything different. Do what you always do. Pray. And the beauty of prayer is that it is a conversation between you and the holy God who created you and loves you the most. Knows you the best and loves you the most. Tim Keller says prayer is a continuing conversation. Is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. And when you get into prayer you find that you are not alone. There is another. There is the God who loves you, who is with you. You find that you have company. God is always present, and we enter into sacred space with Him. And in this company, you find communion, where God reminds us of who we are, and He reminds us of who He is, where we receive His grace, and we give Him honor and glory. That's worship. So we have company and communion, and then we also leave with confidence. How do you feel after you've been in the Lord's presence for a while? Full of hope. He gives you confidence. 
Really, I had hope there, but I wanted another C word, so I put confidence. But hope is confidence in the things that are to come. When all of your world is breaking away, as some of you may have experienced in your life, what do you hold on to? Where is your hope? Where do you find confidence? Is it in yourself? In your job? In the things of this world? In the things that you can buy? Or is it in the one who created you, who knows you the best and loves you the most? Our hope is rooted in the one who came and took on flesh and died on a cross, who rose from the grave. How crazy is that? People say, you believe that? A guy that the whole world loved and then the whole world hated rose from the dead? How can you believe that? Have you ever seen the dead raised? Yes, we believe that. And we believe he's returning again. He's the God who suffered, who gives us communion and company in the midst of our suffering, and he gives us confidence to face what is to come because we know what is to come is even greater than what we're dealing with now. In the midst of suffering, we have hope. My dad taught me that the purpose of prayer is to become a friend of God. Not to be a better, not to be a better person, is not to be in a better head space, not to get what I want, not to even overcome suffering, but the purpose of prayer is to become a friend of God, to know Him, to love Him. Is any of you suffering? Pray. Become a friend of the one who suffered and died for you, and He will make you happy. I could stop right there, but I got a few more places to go. I told you 15 minutes. I'm already at 10. Can I continue? Is anyone happy? There we go. Let him sing songs of praise. Sing a song in your heart right now. I love songs of praise. I don't know if I can open these right now. There we go. You may not want that back, Mark. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Praise is, singing songs of praise is a melodic prayer focusing on the goodness of God. I love how my own son Micah, when Brianna asked, what's praise? And he just got happy and clapped. Which tells me he knows it. We focus on the goodness of God, what He has done. He is worthy of our praise. Amen? And I'm so glad that Lenora is here because I love watching you praise God. I love watching all of you praise God. Because we can point to times in our life, here is, here's where God has been good. And in sitting with Bill and Dorothy this past week in their living room, talking with them about what they're facing right now, just seeing their hope and their joy in the Lord, even in the midst of suffering, it makes me happy even though inside I'm also breaking apart for what you're going through. It makes me happy. 
So I praise God. I remember sitting in my room, figuring out things on the piano, figuring out the guitar, writing songs, praising God as a teenager. And that's continued on throughout my life, and I love it. Now, you don't need to write things in order to praise God, but just give a joyful shout to the Lord. Psalms instruct us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Is anyone happy? Let him praise. Is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then it continues. Prayer. It's, it's a theme here. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now let me break this down for you. Sin is the reason there is sickness and death in the earth. Not that particular sin is always a direct cause to a particular sickness. Now sometimes it is. Promiscuity greatly increases your chance of disease. Overeating can all cause all sorts of health problems. It says right on the box of a cigarette package, Surgeon General's warning, this can cause cancer. Sometimes there is direct correlation, but oftentimes there's none. Yet the direct overall general correlation to sin and sickness in the world is that because sin has entered the world, there is sickness and there is death. That's a reality. Sickness and death are part of the human experience even if, if there is no direct correlation to sin. And just because you get sick doesn't mean that there's a certain sin you must repent of, repent from. But sickness and death should remind all of us that we must repent of our sins. Almost like when Jesus was talking about the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed people, he said, this didn't happen because of their sin, but let it remind you that you must repent. We currently live in a sinful world, and I confess I have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Save me, O God. And so we pray in faith. Don't we always pray in faith? There's not like if you pray, oh, you're really not praying in faith because you're not getting better. No, if you are praying, you're praying in faith. Pray in faith. This is not a formula to have enough faith and be healed. And really the word here, you'll be made well. The word is sozo, which means to be saved, to be rescued, to be preserved from eternal death, from judgment, from sin, to bring into salvation. When you pray, sometimes you are healed, sometimes you're not. Sometimes that sickness is defeated and removed, but sometimes it not, it's not. Sickness does not reveal a person's or a community's lack of faith. Yet praying always reveals a person's or community's abundance of faith. When a community of faith confesses sins to each other and reveals, it reveals that community's faith in God. 
when they confess their sins to each other, it reveals that they believe in a God who forgives sins and heals people from their sins. If we didn't believe in a God who forgives our sins, why would we even need to confess our sins? But we know that in doing so, God comes, He breaks through and heals us and forgives us by the blood of Christ. Confess your sins to one another. Should we just stop the service and just gather in groups and confess to each other? That'd be fun. We're not going to do that right now, but I encourage you throughout the week, as you meet together and gather to, with each other, confess your sins to each other. It may be hard, but if you want to be healed, if you want to be saved, that is the instruction that James gives us. There is great power in confessing sin. Because when you do so, there's another righteous person who comes alongside you and prays for you. And here's what he says. The prayer of a righteous man, a righteous brother, a righteous sister is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. If you are dry and barren and suffering in your sin, and you confess your sins, and a righteous person prays for you, and you believe that Christ has died for you, you are forgiven of your sins and purified from all unrighteousness. And the rain of God pours out upon you and cleanses you. Praise be to God. Prayer opens up the work of God in the world. And we need it. My brothers, if one of you should ever wander from the truth and someone should bring... We do like, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover up a multitude of sins. This verse reminds me of the section in Luke, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, of the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin completed by the parable of the lost son. And in each of those parables, we have the shepherd go searching for his sheep. We have the woman sweep the whole house and search for her coin. And when the son goes off, says, Dad, I basically, you're dead to me. Give me my money. I'm going off. I'm going to live my life how I want. No one goes searching for the son. But instead, we see that there is a brother who is back home doing everything that he is supposed to be doing or supposedly supposed to be doing and when his brother returns and his father welcomes him and throws him a party instead of throwing a party with him celebrating with him he's throwing himself a pity party what about me dad I've done all this and he says don't you know that your son was lost and now he's found he was dead but now he's alive of course I had to celebrate don't you know that everything I have belonged to you in the first place? And we get a sense that there was somebody who was supposed to go searching for his brother, and that was the one who is instead at home griping and complaining. Where James says, if your brother should wander from the truth, another brother should go and bring him back. And turn his, this sinner from his heir 
and save him from a death and a multitude of sins? Do you have a brother or a sister who has wandered recently? Will you bring him back? Hi, Leona. I'm glad you're here. So in reading this, I get the sense that no one is immune to disappointment. No one is immune to disaster. No one is immune to depression. No one is immune to death. There is no vaccine for that. The storms of life will come. And a disciple of Jesus is one who will go through the storm. And as you go through the storms, what should you do? Well, we learn here that we should pray and we should also prepare. Luke 6 says, Jesus says, I will show what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building his house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was built well. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the, on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now we often think that whole parable that he tells is about a believer and an unbeliever, but really this is the one who hears Jesus' words and practices and the one who hears Jesus' words and doesn't practice. In other words, it's two church-going people. A one who is a committed disciple of Jesus and one who just flippantly says, Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Which one are you? Are you practicing? Are you praying? Or are you the one who just flippantly says, I believe that. What are you going to do when the storms come? Are you going to stand firm or are you going to collapse? And the storms of life do come. They will come. Before modern engineering and technology, humans crafted massive, ornate buildings. Many of them were church buildings, houses of worship for entire cities. Some took centuries to build. I'm going to give you a few examples. One is St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, Rome. It took 144 years for it to be built. That's a long time. The York, the York Minster Cathedral in York, England took 252 years to build. From 1220 to 1472. Could you imagine? Working your whole life on that building, never see it to completion. Whole generations passing, one after another. Ah, yeah, we're still working on this. My great-great-great-great-grandfather was working on this, and I'm still working on it. I'm probably going to die tomorrow. The Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, Spain, was started in 1882. Has anyone seen that? I, I know some of you have been to Spain. Started in 1882, and it is still being built today. And if you look at pictures of this thing, you see the old ancient parts of it, and then you see where they're still building right now. The changes in color, 
It's just fascinating. Section by section, stone by stone. Oh, here's, a, here's just one more fun thing. The Sagrada Familia has been delayed because of COVID-19. <laughs> Everything's been delayed by COVID-19. Stone by stone, section by section. And I'm just amazed at the dedication to not abandon these projects and just think, oh, we can just build a more economical project right now. But no, they continue. By comparison, the old Hoosier Dome, anybody remember the Hoosier Dome? Broke ground in 1982. It opened up two years later in 1984 where the Colts played there and the great Peyton Manning, praise God for Peyton Manning, played there. It was renamed the RCA Dome in 1994. I remember that as a kid. Like, why would they change the name? Well, they paid millions of dollars to have it. Okay. 1984, it was torn down in 2008. So the Sagrada Familia has been being constructed since 1882, still being constructed. We've already had buildings that have been built, served for a little bit, and then torn down. Why? Because some buildings are great and magnificent and beautiful, and others are just blah. And what's the difference? The difference is some are masterpieces and some are not. And God is building a masterpiece in you, in us. And I want to tell you, that takes time and it takes practice. Discipleship is a long journey, my friends. And along that journey, there is great storms in life. But as the storms come and hit, and hit, and hit, will you be one that stands firm? In other words, God is making you holy. He is setting you apart for His purposes. And Philippians 1 6 says, he who began a good work in you is he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. From one end to the other, he is faithful and he is a good builder. Well, Pastor JD, what about if I'm depressed, what should I do? What if I'm angry? What if I've been betrayed? What if my grown children abandon Jesus? What if they walk out completely? What if someone you love, what if someone I love is dying? Or someone I love dies unexpectedly? What if my marriage is crumbling? What if I lose my job? What do I do when this happens? Well, the Bible is full of information that can help you navigate this, but more than, more than reading the Bible, uh, sorry, more than anything, reading the Bible opens up 
the opportunity for you to hear from God and to follow Him. And you may find that you will learn what to do in situations by reading the Bible, but even more, you will learn to love God more than you did yesterday as He builds you up piece by piece into a mature believer and part of the church. He will make you His disciples who are being built into the magnificent temple of the Holy God. Does anyone want to walk on that journey with me? It's a long journey. But Christ invites us to come with him. So let's come. Jesus, we come to you. We walk with you. We bless your holy name today. We thank you for your goodness. And so we praise you. We bless you. We lay down our lives before you. Our trust is in you, God. Lord, bless our neighbors. Bless this community. Would you bring not just your company to this community, bring your communion to this community where people see you and see themselves in light of you and, and fall before you and, and worship you. And Lord, may you bring your hope to this community. Help us to be in prayer and help us to serve as bond slaves in Jesus' name. Amen.